Good afternoon to you all. <laughs> Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 16? I want to read the first 15 verses and uh, I want to speak on the shrewd manager. The shrewd manager. Luke chapter 16. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. It's not very nice, is it? A manager who wastes the possessions of his boss. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. Which is a nice way of saying, you're sacked. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than they are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, 
You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men. But God knows your heart. What is highly valued among men is detestable in the sight of God. Wow. Pretty amazing uh, parable, isn't it? Hmm. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard of a man called Warren Buffett? Yes? Those who have heard of Warren Buffett? No, quite a few of you. Good. At 91 years of age, he is acknowledged as one of the most successful businessmen and investors in the world. Being among the world's top 10 wealthiest people with a net worth in excess of $99 billion. Not million, billion dollars. And that's not counting the loose change. He has been described as a self-made American business magnate, investor and philanthropist. He's also been hailed as a very shrewd investor because he doesn't merely react to or follow the market trends. He has demonstrated an uncanny ability to read what the market trends will be. Now, when we lived in China, um, the university set up courses to help Chinese businessmen uh, getting into the world markets. They were sort of moving into all the market trends and everything like that. And there was also bank reforms and things like that happening in China. Well, of course, a lot of Chinese businessmen with money entered into these courses. And all the courses told the Chinese businessmen exactly the same thing, because they were all sanctioned by the government. And so all these Chinese businessmen came out having read exactly the same books. And the books say that when the markets are low, buy, 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 buy. When the markets are high, sell, 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 sell. So the normal market trends of the world were like that. But as soon as all these Chinese investors came in, all of a sudden, everybody was buying at the same time, so the market trends went a lot higher. As soon as someone started selling, everybody started selling, so the market trends went way down. Before they were like that, with all the Chinese investors, up and down and up and down, and as it is today, because they all read from the same book except people like Warren Buffett. In our reading, the Lord Jesus told a parable of another shrewd money manager. Now, in many of the Lord's parables, he gives us illustrations and examples of what we would do well to emulate and follow in our own life practices. We only need to look at parables like the sower and the seed and 
The Lord Jesus is saying that we should be like the good seed in the good soil. What about the parable of the Good Samaritan? There is someone that we should emulate and copy. What about the pearl of great price? And the parable of the five wise virgins? And the list goes on. So many of the parables of Jesus give us examples of how Jesus would have us live. However, in this parable of the dishonest manager, the Lord gives us an illustration, an example of someone we should not emulate. Let me say that again. In this parable, the Lord is giving us an example of someone we should not emulate. He doesn't want us to be like this shrewd manager. But in the parable, we can learn some very valuable life lessons. We can learn from the mistakes of this shrewd manager. And in this parable, the Lord Jesus spoke of the shrewd or the, the steward whose job it was to manage his master's business affairs. He was trusted by his master. He had access to his master's wealth to invest it as the manager saw fit. He was trusted. Unfortunately, the manager or the steward was not a trustworthy person. And he unjustly misused some of that which had been entrusted to him. And he misused it in order to advance himself. The Lord is not wanting us to follow that example. When the manager or the master realised that he was going to... Uh, sorry, when the manager realised that he was going to be sacked, he secretly made an arrangement with his master's debtors. Secretly. Again, not telling his master the hint of dishonesty there. The arrangement was to earn the favour of the master's debtors by writing off some of their debt to his master. Now, while this was not honest or ethical in any way, he did not do the right thing. He should not be praised for doing that. Nevertheless, it was quite smart in an odd sort of way because the master was able to recoup some of the debt owed to him and then reinvest it more profitably, most likely by the new money manager. In this way, the unjust steward demonstrated some sly business acumen, even if it was principally for his own self-interest. And the Lord Jesus told this unusual parable to bring home a very important lesson in life.
It was not that we might follow the example of this unjust steward. No, not at all. But that we might learn some valuable life lessons from his bad and dishonest behaviour. Let's face it, if selfish and unrighteous people can use their intelligence and smarts to their own advantage, then why can't those who choose to live and act righteously also use their intelligence and smarts to live in ways that please and advantage God? When you, for those of you who are believers today, when you became a believer, you did not take out your brain and just put it in a box. God wants you to use your brain and your smarts for God's glory in ethically and responsible ways. When we become true followers of the Lord Jesus it does not mean that we leave our intelligence behind. On the contrary, as we learn to live for God, our brains should become more actively engaged with life and sharper in our choices and our decision-making. We should become smarter and more attuned as to what are God's priorities and what are God's options and what aren't. That's what the world does not have. They do not know God. So therefore, they don't know what God wants and what is God's perfection. That's why they stumble from crisis to crisis. As the Lord Jesus said to the Pharisees in verse 13, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. I'm just checking my notes here because I think I'm on the wrong screen here. There we are. Sorry about that. This very wise statement by the Lord cuts to the very heart of what motivates us and what dictates the kind of person that we choose to be. In our walk with the Lord, it becomes clearer as to what is right and acceptable to God and what isn't. For those who do not have this relationship with God, they often struggle in their decision-making and often get caught up in foolishness. The TV news is full of such examples. You only need to hear of people who get on TV and things are happening in community and they make the statement, oh, they wish the people would do the right thing. But they never ever tell us what is the basis for their statement of the right thing. I mean, to say for a drug dealer, would the right thing be to have another hit? 
Um, people can use this right thing to justify what they want, but they don't tell us what their moral base is. Make no mistake, every one of us is daily confronted with life choices and decisions. And how we respond is usually based on the life values and priorities that we hold. And they are so often exposed by the choices and decisions that we embrace. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For example, if we value and treasure money and possessions above all else, then our life direction will be predicated by the pursuit of money. Now, I have known people, mainly men, a few women, I have talked with people over the years and it's amazing how those people have been so consumed with the pursuit of money. It is their only topic. They can't talk about anything else. You can talk about the weather and they will just twist the conversation around until they are talking about their favourite subject. And they do it very, very well. And it's very sad. Likewise, those who are only interested in drinking alcohol, that's the only topic that they know. They know everything about alcohol, but they talk about nothing else. And in recent times, I've spoken with a few people like that. If we value and treasure in the moment pleasures, then our life choices will be predicated on the pursuit of fun and happiness experiences. If we value and treasure interactive relationships, then our life choices will be predicated on seeking out people without regard to knowing their true nature and character, let alone their honesty and integrity. It's all about having that interactive relationship. Or you could talk about people who are so consumed about their own body image. Their life choices will be about getting the latest, you know, tummy tuck or um, uh, thick lips or, or tattooed eyebrows or the latest hairdo or the fashionable clothes. And that's just talking about the men. <laughs> of course, I could go on with other such examples. But I think that you get the idea that we need to seriously consider and re-evaluate those things that are the highest priorities, those things that are the treasures in our life, that condition us in how we think, act and react. And so we must ask the most fundamental of questions. Where does a relationship with God 
fit into this equation of life. As the Lord Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon, mammon being anything that takes priority in your life. Make no mistake, God is never interested in being an etc. Just one of the many activities and priorities in a busy life. God is not interested in that. As God instructed Moses in Exodus 34, do not worship any other God. I'm not here to be one of all the, the lineup of gods. Do not worship any other God. For the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. That's how God described himself. God is a jealous God. And he is not interested in playing second fiddle among all the other activities that have place and significance in our lives. He, that is God, desires to be number one and will never settle for second best, just as we would never settle for second best from him. Isn't that true? If you're wanting God's blessing in your life, you want the real McCoy. You don't want a second best imitation, do you? You're expecting that in your life, God will give you his best. Then shouldn't we also give him our best? And don't think, don't think that you can trick the Lord or play him. For God knows us better than we even know ourselves. After all, he is our creator and he gave us this incredible gift of life. He knows our every thought, he knows our every inclination and nothing, nothing that we think do or say is hidden from him. The unjust steward in the parable may have been a worldly smart man in the way that he manipulated his boss and the situations to his own advantage. But he eventually lost the favour of his master. And in the same way, if we seek to be smart in the ways of the world and choose to deceive and manipulate people and situations for our own advantage, we place ourselves outside of the orbit of God's enduring influence in our lives. As the Lord Jesus said to the Pharisees in verse 15, for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Church, we can't blame others for the choices that we make. We can't blame our parents. We can't blame our friends or our general life circumstances, no matter how attractive they may seem, if we choose 
to turn our backs on God and embrace the many corruptions in the world around us. And over the years, how many times have I heard people say, oh, I might as well be dead. My life is in a mess. Oh, it was all my father's fault. No, it wasn't. Every day you woke up, you had a choice to make. You had a choice in which direction you walked. Don't blame a bad father or a bad mother or a bad boss or anybody else. You made a choice. You're responsible. And the cry, they made me do it, does not wash with the Lord. Not at all. We are responsible for the choices and the decisions that we make. And the good news for today is that every new day is an opportunity to put our past behind us and begin afresh by inviting God to be number one in our lives. Every day is an opportunity to get your life on the right track with God. Every day is a new day to begin a conversation with the Lord by asking, Lord, what would you have me do for you today? Not what would you have me do today, but what would you have me do for you today? Every day is a clean slate in which the author of that day should be God instead of self. Cheryl and I got married just a few years ago. Not, not too long. How long, how long ago was it, Cheryl? Nearly 45 years. Yeah, well, that was just like yesterday. We're still on our honeymoon. But before we were married, when we were dating and talking about marriage, I said to Cheryl something that I'd had to work out for myself. As a young person, I'd listened to sermons and I'd been challenged to sort out my priorities in life. And I said to Cheryl, Cheryl, if and when we get married, I need you to know this. The highest priority in my life, above everything else, is God. My second priority will be you. My third priority will be our children and family. My fourth priority will be the church. And she still married me. You remember me saying that, don't you? Have I kept my promise? Pretty much, good. How many people 
How many people listened to this parable of Jesus and had their lives totally turned around? Simple answer to that is I don't know, but the Lord does. One thing I do know is that every day is an opportunity for everyone to begin afresh, to start over again and to have their life values and their life principles transformed by the Spirit of God. For some, that may be an instantaneous event. God may just take hold of their life and bang, their whole lives turned around. And I've met people like that. One day they're one kind of a person, the following day they are transformed. Praise God. It may be because they have had a parent or a grandparent who had spoken the truths of God into their life when they were young and they were just ready for the Holy Spirit to take hold. For others, however, it may be a gradual journey that might take several years as they, they come to understand what does it mean to be part of a church? What does it mean to be a Christian? What's all this about? What's a baptistry? Who are these people? So it takes those people a bit of a journey to come to that point as they grow in their love walk with the Lord. But one thing that we should never forget is that when the Lord Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, bearing all of our faults, all of our failings, all of our sin and all of our shame, it was to give each one of us in the world today the opportunity to have a new beginning with a new set of values and principles by which to make life decisions and order our priorities. To be able to say, this is the right thing to do because this is what God has said. Church, especially those of you who are younger, like Cheryl, and those with young families, there's a few of you here, don't let the everyday busyness of studies and family life rob you of the opportunity of growing in a relationship with the Lord. Life can become so busy if we let it. That's our choice. If we let it. Make no mistake... God loves you and he always will. But he will not accept being put on the high mantelpiece of your life only to be brought down and dusted off once a week or a couple of times a year, you know, Christmas and Easter's. You've heard of these kind of Christians? I'm a Christmas and Easter Christian. God does not accept that. He's not encouraged by it. 
He's not thrilled by it. Our Lord desires to be an integral part of your life, not just of your Sundays, but every day of the week, 24-7. There is never a time you cannot talk with him. He wants to walk with you and he wants to talk with you 24-7. In fact, he waits for you to open his word of scripture. He waits for you to pray them into your life. Now, in the early morning prayer time at 8 o'clock this morning, a number of us gathered on, on um, not YouTube, what's it called? Zoom, Zoom, yes, Zoom, Zoom. And we prayed through Luke 6, the Beatitudes. Now, it's only a few verses, two or three verses, but it filled three quarters of an hour. Just praying God's word into our life and into the lives of others. The Lord wants you to know his story with humanity. He wants you to discover the amazing secrets of his creativity in this world and universe of which science, physics and maths today is only beginning to scratch the surface. God longs for you to have fellowship with his people whenever and wherever they gather and to appreciate the uniqueness of every single individual you will meet because no two people are the same. Everyone is special to God. Brothers and sisters, know this. God has an amazing and awesome plan for you but only if you will allow him to have first place in your life. If you tarry, if you choose to wait, then he will love you, oh yes, but he will restrain his blessings in your life until you are truly ready to receive them from him. There are a lot of people who aren't yet ready for the blessings of the Lord. He's waiting. He's waiting for you. As the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Oh, there are so many people in the world today who are so burdened and troubled. If only they knew the rest and the peace that God can give. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What a wonderful promise in Scripture. The Lord will not force himself upon us and he will not give us anything until we first come to him. So, the question is, 
If you have not yet made a decision for the Lord, what are you waiting for? Do you think you're going to miss out on something in the world? Look at the mess in the world today. What can possibly be better in the secular world than what God wants to give to you today? Now, I know it's only a parable, but if only, if only the unjust steward had invited God to be an integral part of his life, he wouldn't have been sacked from all that was his security and he wouldn't have had to rely on other dubious people for his ongoing welfare. If only he had used his talents and abilities to be a blessing to his master and an example to others of honesty and integrity, his life would have been so much better. If only. But then it was only a parable, wasn't it? But it's the lessons we can learn from it that really matter. Not the example of the man. If only. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for this parable. It really challenges us and it confronts us. Lord, help us, please, to learn the lessons of this parable and not to emulate the life of this unjust steward, but to be people of God, to put you first in all things, to allow your principles and values in life to transform us in our decision-making and in our priorities. May we become the people that you want us to be, people of righteousness, people of justice, people of loving kindness and mercy. And may you be glorified in all we think, do and say, for we ask it in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother.